morning church, morning online campus too. Glad you guys are here. I'm Joel. I am the Connect Pastor here. Really glad you guys are with us this morning. Um, if it's your first time in a while, we have been doing some weeks here covering times that we read about where Jesus is quoting the Bible of his day, the Old Testament. Uh, in fact, one, one research study said that 180 out of the 1,800 times of Jesus, of 1,800 verses of Jesus uh, speaking in the New Testament, one out of 10 of those is Jesus quoting or referencing the Old Testament, the stuff that he knew. That's a big deal. One out of 10. So um, yeah, it's not just um, that we like the Bible. It's that the guy that we claim to follow, he seemed to have been pretty big on it. And that's why we've been doing the series. And so um, yeah, we got one more and then we're going to do that special thing next week. Um, but just talking about things that, you know, Jesus obviously knew the stuff by heart. We'll see that. But what stuff do you know by heart? Like you don't have to look it up. Uh, you could quote it from memory. What kinds of things are like all already locked and loaded there? Do you have movies and movie quotes? You know, for me, like uh, thinking through, it's, I'm not super proud of this, but like um, Jack Nicholson's speech from A Few Good Men, that, that was like, you want answers? Yeah, like that, that was really powerful for me uh, and that just stuck in my brain. Um, do you guys have movies that you really like that you watch over and over and over again? What about, um, what about songs, albums, and stuff like that? You know, especially back when we had to like plug in like cassette tapes or CDs or something like that, and so you just had to listen to whatever was coming next on the album. Like, did you have an album that you listened to over and over and over again? You know so well that like when that song plays and ends, you know what's supposed to come next. Yeah, we we we, we memorize stuff like that. Uh, maybe you know some data from work. Maybe, uh, maybe you were a good sixth grade student and you know all the state capitals. Anybody? Couldn't, couldn't, couldn't say them all now. But uh, maybe it's a kid's book, even if it's been a long time since you had little kids, but a, a book that you read that your two-year-old demanded over and over and over and over again. I'm looking at you, pout, pout, fish. You know some of those stuff, you know some of the stuff over and over again? May, may, it's just your drive fr- to work or to school or something like that, you're like, have you ever arrived and been like, oh gosh, I actually don't remember driving that. Like, I don't remember making the turns. Or, or, Yeah, like there's plenty of things that we know by heart. And so like, how do we get that stuff um, into our heart? How, how is that like just ingrained in us? What kind of methods do we use? Um, how do we do that? Because this seems to be a big deal. In Jesus's day, they didn't memorize state capitals in their school. In the Jewish schools, they would have the boys memorize the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They'd memorize that. No wonder Jesus had so much of this known by heart. And so you've seen um, when we talked about in this series, Jesus being able to quote scripture um, when he's preaching on stuff from like the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said this, but I'm going to give you an even better definition of that. Um, Or the time when Jesus is, is... um, arguing with the religious leaders of his day, and he's correcting their misunderstandings. Or uh, when Jesus and Satan are doing their little rap battle um, in Jesus' temptation in the, in the wilderness, right? Like Jesus can quote that scripture, and Satan can even quote or misquote scripture. And we've seen all these different times where uh, Jesus is able to uh, quote scripture. And last week, Scott did one of my favorites, the, uh, um, the, the prayer from Mark chapter 12, when well, basically, the guy asked Jesus, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus gives this beautiful answer. He gives the Deuteronomy 6, uh, 4, and 9, 4 through 9. He says, 
Um, it's this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, and with all your um, soul. Anyways, he, uh, he says that, and then, but they, they knew this prayer by heart. In fact, a lot of those people standing around hearing um, Jesus' answer may have prayed that prayer that morning. Um, so they would have automatically then known the rest of it, that these commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. Don't just talk about sports or the weather or what you're going to do for the weekend. Talk about them when you're um, with your kids at home. Uh, when you go along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and gates. It's a beautiful passage. It's a great way of not only describing like, how important these commandments were that they had just been given, the Israelites had been, um, on Mount Sinai, but how it's supposed to reproduce itself, like in a perfect kind of kingdom biodome. And then Jesus tacks on another one um, that Scott covered from last week when Jesus says, look, it's that, plus love your neighbor as yourself, which comes from a chapter in Leviticus where it's talking about how to treat your fellow Israelite, and there, in the middle of that, it's just that verse, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus combines these. And man, he was, he was so smart. It's, it's no wonder why people were, were caught by his teaching and, and thought that there was something different about him. Jesus not only knew and had memorized, but he, he, he knew what they meant and how to apply Scripture. And so, uh, man, really kind of, kind of the crux, the, where, where all this comes down on, in this series of, of Jesus and quoting Scripture is that if you're willing to say that Jesus um, isn't the Son of God, and maybe all those people that believed him and saw him and on both sides and, and decided, yeah, that really happened. If you're willing to say that's not true, then we are obviously going to disagree about the Bible. Like, we're going to have to just agree to disagree, and we'll pray for you. Maybe you can hope the best for us. But, yeah, if Jesus isn't who he says he is, then we're going to have completely different views of the Bible. But, church, but... If you are one of those of us who say that Jesus is the Lord, that he is the Son of God, if that's your position, then you should also agree with Jesus that the Bible should have that authority in our lives. Because Jesus valued and, and read and relied on Scripture, and so it only makes sense that those of us who claim to follow him do. So if you've been here every single week for this series, good for you. Maybe you are surprised at all these different places where we have been able to say, look, Jesus is quoting scripture here. This is a big deal. This is what that means. Or maybe you realize, man, no, one out of every 10 times that Jesus is talking, he's directly quoting or referencing scripture. But these last two teachings, there was a bit of a mix-up in the planning phase. That's on me. I outlined a lot of the series, and um, I put that that passage from Mark, um, Mark chapter 12 about the greatest commandment in both Scott's sermon that if hopefully you checked that out last week because that was great. I'm so glad that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and give cre some credit to the Holy Spirit I'm gonna, because Scott did such, did such a good job with that. I'm glad that he did that because here I come to this week and I had had half of that message outlined in my, in my own notes, in my own way, and then I realized, oh, no, I can't do that because Scott's doing that already. And so I went searching for more places where Jesus quotes scripture, and I found one we missed. Yeah, just straight missed. And by we, I, of course, mean me. I missed this <laughs> because I outlined this. I, I found good resources online and stuff like that, a list of places that Jesus quotes scripture, and this one was hidden. This one that I'm really excited was saved to last, so we can put a bow on all of this. This place where Jesus uses scripture, it's a big deal, and it's great. 
And I want to leave you on a cliffhanger for just one second because, um, because I want to build to this. Um, I, want, I want to lay some groundwork here. Have, have you ever heard anybody say stuff like, um, that God of the Old Testament, he was mean? Or, or anything that alludes to the idea that, that God throughout the Bible or, some, or throughout the te- different testaments has changed or is different or anything like that? Um, if you have, and it's, it's prevalent, I get why people would think that or make jokes about that and stuff um, because of the change in tone maybe, um, because of the different circumstances. Certainly, this, this Jesus thing, it, it's a big deal in the New Testament, and it's, and it's different. But um, it's bad logic, and it's terrible theology. <laughs> uh, because um, just think about this. Imagine somebody witnesses me parenting my girls around the swimming pool and how kind of uptight and strict we can be because of the danger that's there. Imagine they think from that one instance that, oh, man, Joel must be a really strict, kind of mean parent, and, and he doesn't have very much fun. <laughs> they did not see me playing Spider-Man in the pool then this week with my girls because we had a ton of fun. And they, they didn't see me go find my girl's stuffed animal in the middle of the night and go tuck it underneath of, uh, her arm because she left it in the basement. Now, which one of the, those dads am I? Am I like the super sweet, the fun one, or the strict one? Well, I'm, I'm all of that stuff and more because I have lots of facets. If me, as a simple human, can have all those different sides to me, maybe. Maybe there's a God who has different sides to him. Either way, um, look, this is, this is uh, not true because, look, when we see, um, when we're reading through the Old Testament, have you ever noticed that Jesus is right there? Like, even places where his name is not outlined, like, hey, this is an allusion to Jesus. Like, he's there. Or, or maybe you just read, read through uh, Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel or Daniel, some of those prophecies. It's clear, oh, yeah, those are pointing to something that God's going to do someday, and so many people have clearly identified in the New Testament. That's who Jesus is. Maybe you're reading through the Old Testament and you just see a scene where God saves the Israelites despite their unfaithfulness, and you think in your head, huh, that's a cool story, but not only is that a cool story, but that's kind of, on a small scale, what God has planned and is going to do for all of humanity um, when all of his plans are fulfilled. That's, that's what we're talking about, and that's, um, that's where we go to um, when we hit this first passage that kind of sets the stage for the one that I want to hit today. But uh, if you got your Bibles, online campus, open another browser window, go with me to Matthew chapter 5. If you got your phone, just Google Matthew chapter 5. You'll pull up like Bible Gateway or maybe you've got the YouVersion app on your phone. But look with me here. If you're one of those special people who've got a paper Bible, go ahead and hold that up. We're going to clap for you. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice to have that feel of paper, be able to see everything. If you're at home and you got access to go grab that because it's fun. It's fun to see everything. But in Matthew chapter 5, we have seen that uh, Jesus has been baptized, uh, is drawn by the Spirit out to the desert to be tempted, um, gathers some followers, and starts this like preaching tour, um, this evangelism tour where he's talking on hillsides and he's stopping in synagogues. And that's where, um, that's where we see here um, when Jesus uh, is recorded as uh, telling this, these, this group of people on the hillside, he says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish them, to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, Jesus continues, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. 
Man, that, that's a big, bold statement that Jesus makes there. I don't even know if everyone realized that all that stuff had a purpose that it was building to. And Jesus says, look, here, this purpose is going to be accomplished. It's not going to, to fall away. And also, it's easy. It would be easy to make the mistake of thinking that Jesus' teachings were brand new and that, that, they, uh, that they flew in the face of everything that was believed in the past. But he's clearly saying that's not true. In fact, I think we can, we can draw from all of this stuff that when Jesus' interpretations of Scripture and Jesus' new teachings differ from what the people in his day had learned and were teaching, stuff like that, when those two things are different, Jesus' are more original to the heart of what God had planned. That's what he's trying to get at. So not only is Jesus saying that the old stuff, he's not doing away with the old stuff like, uh, like the Articles of Confederation fell away when we ratified the Constitution. No, he's saying like, no, I, I am bringing that into fulfillment. Man, you gotta, you gotta be asking yourself, and we're not gonna be able to cover it because it's too big of an idea, but you gotta be asking yourself, what does this mean? that nothing will pass from the law until it's all accomplished. What, what, all, what all effects does that have on this world that I live in? And what does that mean for the way that I read Scripture and interpret it? Jesus, what do you, what do you want to do with me? But it does perfectly set the table for that one time that I left out, that I forgot, and now, again, I'm going to say by the grace of God, put it together so that we can end here on this one verse. It sets the table for it. I can be forgiven for missing it because it's not quite as much of Jesus quoting Scripture as it is Jesus reading Scripture. Dum-dum-dum. Are you with me? Do you, know where, do you know what example I'm talking about? Online campus? Write it in the comments if you got it. Do you know, you know what story we're going to hit? It's actually in Luke chapter 4, so go ahead and flip there, but it's time when Jesus is in the synagogue and he reads from the scroll of Isaiah. Yeah, you're there. You know what we're talking about. So um, it's, uh, again, after Jesus has started his earthly ministry, he's touring around and uh, he's growing in fame. And so in Luke chapter 4, it says that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. So he's being Spirit-led. And news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in the synagogues and everyone praised him. He was teaching in the synagogues. Yeah, Jesus uh, was a typical Jewish rabbi where he would not only uh, teach on the hillsides, which may not have been as popular, but he would, when he was in a synagogue, people were asking him questions, he was teaching them. And their synagogue services, um, their synagogues are not like the temple in Jerusalem, right? They're, the temple in Jerusalem is the holy place. But after the exile, Jewish people were out throughout the whole Roman world. And uh, so anywhere there was a community of 10 or more Jewish families, they could set up a synagogue where they could gather together on their um, Saturdays, their Sabbath, and uh, in worship. And so in a, in a typical um, synagogue service, there would be um, a blessing from the priest, a uh, reciting of prayers like the Shema, the love the Lord, hero is you love the Lord your God, that stuff. There would be a reading from the prophet books, a reading from an Isaiah book, maybe a psalm. And then someone would, would get up and give their interpretations of what they read. None of those interpretations would come to the level of the reading of scripture, but still they would do it as part of their service. And you know, when you really stop and think about it, if you were in that Luke chapter four um, service with Jesus in that synagogue, it might feel very different, but think about all the elements that are the same as what we're doing in this service today. 
Like the praise and, and the reading of Scripture and the expounding on it and the prayer. I mean, that's, that's cool. That's cool to think about. All these thousands of years doesn't, still change, doesn't change everything that we need to do here. So it's, again, natural for a visiting rabbi who's got some fame, who's sitting like right there in that middle row with uh, John and Andrew and, and Peter definitely by his right side because Peter's pushed people away to sit next to Jesus. And the Judases are there. And, and they would invite Jesus to come up and read from this scroll. And this scroll is big. It's real big. It's, it's giant in comparison to the paper Bible that you have, and it's humongous in comparison to the words that you're scrolling through on your phone. Same word still, but just Jesus picks up this giant scroll. Have you seen a picture of a scroll before? Of course. Have you ever held a scroll before? Yeah, me neither. I went, I went to see the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls exhibit at the Cincinnati Museum Center. Anybody else go to that? This was years ago. But um, being a history buff and a Bible nerd, I'm thinking, man, this is pretty cool. Like, if you're not familiar with the term Dead Sea Scrolls, it's like these thousands of scrolls that were found that dated from the 3rd century all the way back to the 1st century. And as they're, as they're uh, analyzed and stuff like that, sure enough, they agree with all the other manuscripts and copies of Scripture um, that we have today. Again, more confidence we can have. But, so you would think, man, Joel's really going to enjoy this exhibit. And I go there, and I quickly realize, oh, so I'm... Uh, um, I'm just looking at the, these uh, pieces of paper behind glass <laughs> in a dimly lit room that's uh, written in a language that I don't recognize. Oh, that's oh, okay. That's, that's all. That's all right. That's all right. I brought my library card. I tried to check some of them out. That was a non-starter. But Jesus, they gave that guy this big scroll. He gets, he gets taken from the attendant, and he walks it up, and, uh, and, he, and he rolls it out. And, uh, and he starts to uh, just look, and, and uh, man, I'm starting to think, what, how old was this thing when Jesus held it? Like, was that like an ancient scroll, or was it like just copied in the first generation? It doesn't matter. Either way, it would be valued by the community because, again, they live in a mostly oral um, society. So anything written down is extremely costly and uh, extremely valuable. It makes me wonder that um, because they had to memorize stuff to, like, know it, they couldn't, like, just pull out their phones and access the scroll of Isaiah anytime that they wanted. It makes me wonder, would my relationship with God's Word change if I had less access to it? Like, if I didn't know at any time I could go and read it? And Yeah, I don't know. But here Jesus is. He's rolling out the scroll of Isaiah in front of this packed house in a Galilean countryside synagogue, and he takes the right side, and he, and he lets him slack out, and he takes the left, and he furls it in some, and he, he runs his finger along the parchment, and he feels the seams where they had to physically sew the paper together, um, because that's the only way you can make something long enough to hold all the writings of the book of Isaiah. And he, and he finds the place um, where he wants to read from, and Luke describes it like this. He says, unrolling it, Luke chapter 4, he found the place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled the scroll back up and he handed it to the attendant. And he went down and took his seat. And all the eyes of everyone in the synagogue, it says, were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled 
in your hearing. Your screen didn't freeze, online service. I don't want to talk right now, just for a second, because I don't, I don't want to give you the impression that I know how to understand that all. That's a big deal. That, that means a lot of stuff. Um, I don't know where your mind goes, but what questions are popping up? Like, so what all are the prophecies that Jesus is fulfilling? Like, what, I, now, I, now I need to go back and read some of those. Now I, now I want to know, like, well, what else, uh, what does it mean that it's fulfilled? Um, lots, lots of people probably didn't even know how incomplete things were standing at that moment just because we're going about our daily life. And then Luke records for us that Jesus began by saying, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, which means that Jesus went ahead and expounded on all of that. And Luke just says he began. Dang it, Luke, if there's one Saturday to take good notes in synagogue, that's it, dude. Like, we're just all sitting here like, what else is there to know? That was important stuff. And Luke just says, you know. But I would imagine if Luke heard me saying bad stuff about him like that, he would be sitting down here and raise his hand and be like, "Um, excuse me, did you read the rest of the book? (laughs) Also, I read a second one. It's called Luke 2, Jesus Wins Again. Somebody renamed it Acts of the Apostles, but it's all there. It's, it's there. You, you need to read the whole story, and even if you don't understand every single part of it, it is a big deal. How was, how was God's mission to save the whole world fulfilled? It was there. It's there. See, the, the thing is, from the beginning of creation to the introduction of sin and death um, from Adam and Eve, the world was sick and dying, and, and God had a rescue plan, started from the beginning, and it started with his chosen people, the Israelites, but they, they didn't hold up their end of the bargain. They let themselves go, and yet God still blessed the whole world by bringing his son through it. And yeah, there's this moment in history where it seems like God's silent, and everything's going wrong, and the Romans are ruling, and, and, there's, and there's more death and destruction and disease, and, and we might feel like we're there right now too, but look, that's when God already had agents on the ground, and his, and his unique baby is going to be born to an unwed mother in an insignificant part of the world, and that boy is going to grow up, and it's going to tell people all of that stuff is accomplished right here, right now. All of history, this whole thing, all of humanity's problems, they are answered in the person slash God of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen? That's, that's what we're at. That's, that's why we're talking about this. This is why we want to know Scripture. This is why we want to be known by Scripture. Because all of God's instructions for us, all our identity, what we're here for, they all fall into place when we when we process them through the idea that all the laws and the prophets, everything that we've known here, it's fulfilled in Jesus. And that's why I think we, we want to challenge ourselves with some really tough things. Like, know your Bible, know your whole Bible, and when there's a problem, when there's a discrepancy, you should assume that you're the one lacking the knowledge. You should assume it's user error and not author incompetency. When we're reading through Scripture, man, we want to know it, and we, we, 
we want to know, we're not going to know everything all the time, but man, you should also then when we get there and say, I don't totally get this, or this doesn't sound right, in fact, it sounds the opposite of what I think should be, guess which one should win out? Yeah, uh, Thomas Jefferson's a great example, negative example of what this means, and Thomas Jefferson was an incredible man in his day. He, uh, he was well-liked, he was very important and influential, so much so that they ousted John Adams as the second president, put him in as the third. And yet, when Thomas Jefferson was presiding over this country full of Christians, Christianity was the majority of people, his kind of Christianity was not the kind of um, daily relying on Jesus and highly valuing um, God's word and all of it. So much so that um, because of the science in their day, we should get a kick out of this because nothing's changed since the 1800s. Because of the science in their day, they thought that, man, yeah, this just doesn't jive with what we know. And uh, we know a lot of stuff. And therefore, what we know must trump um, the word of God. And so when Thomas Jefferson like, approached his Christianity and all the miracles of Jesus, it couldn't be true. They had to have be, been later additions to the text. And so this is what Thomas Jefferson's Bible looked like when he was done with it. No joke, that's, that's known to history as the Jefferson Bible. And look, there are some people who are naturally more skeptical than others, and that's great. There is no issue with that. In fact, there's parts um, and needs for them in the kingdom of God. But like I said earlier, when there's a friction between what we think and know and understand in Scripture, we shouldn't first go grab a pair of scissors. All right? Scripture can't keep losing out like that. That's the thing that I think I'm most struck by throughout all this series is just not that Jesus knew Scripture, but how much he relied on it. Like, even though he's what it's about, even though he was there in, in and empowering the writing of it like he still used it and relied on it, and yet that conflicts, that contrasts with so much of my culture today. That, that even contrasts with a lot of my Christian culture today. I can't make any sense out of that. I'm guilty of it too. I'm not claiming that I, I know and, and obey and, and think all, all things are correct. But just because I have made the mistakes, man, I, I'm still saying that doesn't make any sense if Jesus is the Messiah, if he is the Son of God, and he, and he values and loves Scripture the way that he clearly does, then you and I, as his follower, we just have to do the same thing. And, and when, when, there's, uh, when there's problems, when there's conflictions, we have to surrender ourselves and let Scripture win out. Now, look, this is really important. There's two ends of the, of the spectrum here. All right, you with me? All right, there's two ends of the spectrum here when it comes to this value in the Scripture because you can take it all the way to this end and, still, and it'd be really, really bad because on one end, um, it, you can lead yourself to spiritual abuse of other people. There can be cherry-picking of verses and there can be condemnation. None of that stuff looks like Jesus. Don't go to that end of, the, of this. And then all the way over here on the other end, there is just a self-centered um, evaluation uh, of Scripture that, uh, that puts you above it, and, um, and that just leads to ungodliness. Of course, that's not going to be like Jesus either. You don't want to be on either one of those ends. And so you ask yourself, all right, well, what, what do I do then to value Scripture like Jesus did, not be on either one of those things? Such a wise question that you guys ask. Really, really good, really good question. What do we do? How do we, how do we make sure we're in the center of, of this, uh, of God's Word? Well, 
I don't know all the answers, but let me just say this is some of the stuff that people have told me, and uh, they seem to line up when I try and live this out too. First of all, read the Bible, read the whole Bible, even if you don't understand it all. I mean, uh, imagine if you showed up to just one day of U.S. history class, and you, you pop open the, um, the uh, U.S. history textbook, and you read one page, and you're like, the Boston Massacre, uh, British citizens killed U.S. Um, man, Boston, uh, what did I say? Did I say British, British soldiers killed U.S. citizens. That's what I meant. I'm reading this for the first time, obviously. Imagine that you then put the textbook down, step out of the class, and you look at the world around you, and you're like, I can't make any sense out of this. How, how does this line up? How, why are we still friends and partners with, with Britain? I thought we were in a war with them. You see how if I don't read the whole thing, then I'm, I'm really not going to be able to take very much out of it there. But here, here's the most encouraging thing probably that I have um, to say to you this morning, is that when you're reading Scripture, rely on the Holy Spirit's power. I don't think we are told this enough, but you don't have to read the Bible with just your own understanding and knowledge and experience and legibility. Like, you don't... <laughs> You don't have to do that. Can you imagine how messed up this world would be if all Christians everywhere read the Bible and only used their own understanding to interpret it all? <laughs> it's a half-trick question, because I mean, I think that's possibly what we do and why we're here at this spot in history. But still, you don't have to rely on your own understanding of Scripture uh, when you read um, you should rely on the Holy Spirit. He, he is capable. Remember, Jesus promised us that, that he would go and that one would come. And, uh, and, and we see that all throughout Luke 2, uh, Acts of the Apostles, that it's all, it's all spirit-centered. And which leads us then to number three and four, study with other believers, find good resources. All those things are really important when we're trying to ward off this like society around us trying to tell us um, how to read the Bible, what it actually means just based on what's convenient for everybody or, or what makes sense to us in this day and age. Man, that's a scary thing. That's, that's like a crowdsourced religion. That's, that's, a, that's a theology by means, and it's not stable. You don't, you don't want that. that. That will lead to nowhere. We want to know Scripture like Jesus did because we don't want to fall victim to the world's enticing, yet just domesticated Christianity. We want to be unleashed back into his world so that we can be forces for the kingdom like Jesus promised. Like, like Jesus told Peter, you will, you will be my rock, and on that foundation I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not be able to stand up against it. Yeah, we are the attacking force. And there's no force out there of darkness that will be able to stand up against us. We're, we're supposed to be like, like Peter, who was like a Christian Liam Neeson, and goes out and, and rescues people who are taken captive. And not only should we rescue them, but we bring the kingdom of God crashing down on the enveloping darkness. This is what the world out there needs from you. They don't need your pity. They don't need your passive acceptance of their lifestyle. No, they need you to be the kind of force, the light-bringing, gospel-centered love that Jesus exampled for us. That's, that's what the world out there needs. So don't run out into that battlefield without your sword. 
the joke is that uh, sometimes the word of God is called the sword, if you're with me now. And uh, also, let the word of God, as you read it and, and are realizing that, man, Jesus is calling me to this, let it draw you into his mission. That mission that he's already told us is fulfilled in Jesus, and he's still completing it to this day, which, which then just leads us to see the number one thing that we've got to take out of all of this. When Jesus is quoting scripture, man, Jesus is at the heart of it. He is at the heart of God's word. And in fact, John tells us he is the word, the word made flesh. So this isn't just about some book. It's not about being good students. Most, most Christians throughout history couldn't even uh, read all that, the, all that there was. And but man, these 66 books that we have collected now and we call the Bible, it's more of a library. And, and yet, despite the thousands of years over which it's written and despite all the different authors and cultures and language and stuff like that, we can now have total confidence in it because it's so clear when you read it all and when you know it and when you study it with other people and when you let the Holy Spirit wash it over you, you, you see, you just see that man, this is one epic story. It all ties together. Jesus is literally and metaphorically sewing this thing together. He is the thread that runs through it all. That's why. That's why we want to know Scripture and be known by Scripture, because Jesus quoted it, because he valued it, because he relied on it, because he knew his Scripture, and he fulfilled it. And that's the mission that you and I want to be on. God, would you draw us further into that mission? God, would you just inflame our hearts so that we um, want to know and can know you better? We want to uh, just surrender to the parts um, that, that we need to die to. We want to be able to say, God, have your way with us. You are our Lord. That means that you get to <laughs> what you say goes. God, would you just help us as we repent from where we've gone wrong, from when we turned our own way, both individually and as a group. God, we, we pray that you would save us. We pray that you uh, would give us that hope, that light that you bring. God, may we be uh, forces that truly know and are drawn into that purpose, that one that you have accomplished. So we thank you for the one who it was accomplished through. And in Jesus' name, amen.